everyone, my name is Eloise Sweetman and with me is my friend and colleague Chris Dittle. We're back with the second season of I Hope This Message Finds You Well, a podcast on curating, where we talk to curators about their approach to curating, how they began and what they love about the profession. Today's episode is with the three core members of Sarmad, Ali Reza Abbasi, Golna Abbasi and Avantpur Abbasi. Sarmad is an independent, non-profit, interdisciplinary platform for research, publishing, collective thinking and education in the fields of art, architecture and design. Based in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, Sarmad has been evolving since its foundation in 2012. It started as a magazine for experimental photography and evolved into a platform working across different disciplines from photography, visual arts and architecture to writing, performance art and film. So my name is Golnar. I have a background in architecture and I work as part of Sarmat. I also teach in Lambda Koning. I also am part of a collective called WorkNode with Arvind. Uh, yeah, this is Arvind. I have background in architecture too. I'm part of Sarmat and WorkNode with Golnar. And yeah, I do teach in Lambda Koning too. Special design and autonomous practice. And yeah, I've been around Rotterdam for not that long, five years, which is interesting because we had a collective called Neverland Cinema, mm. which yeah, it's ended by beginning of pandemic. Mm. So. so I'm uh, Ali Reza, or Ali, in terms of background, I have a background in engineering and fine arts. Apart from Sarmat, I think I identify as a writer, an artist who tries to, a visual artist who tries to do things that are not so visual. (laughs) (laughs) We were also wondering if you could tell a few words about Sarmat and how you started or what led you to start this this platform. Well, Sarmat, we started in 2012, Konhar and me. And then later on, Arman joined us. Back then, we were basically, we are very much into photography slash image making. So it basically started as a magazine for experimental or alternative image making. So weird ma- ways of making images other than working with a, like a manufactured camera. And then slowly, slowly over time, we made a couple of books. So we got into publishing and then we started doing these like public events. So slowly, slowly it um, grew into more of a platform that does different things and is, I would say, beyond that um, initial definition for the image. We could still say that we are working on image, but it's a, it's a much broader, broader definition, I guess. Yeah. No, I just want to kind of add that we started the collective when we were both in Iran back then? Mm. Yeah. Well, you were not in Iran. I, I was in Amsterdam, Iran. you were in Iran, and then 
I came back. And then, and then I came to the Netherlands, and, and then, then you, you went back to... Okay, yeah, anyway. Yeah. But then there has been... And then Ivan was in Iran, he moved here. We moved a lot, uh, around quite a bit. You also, Ali, used to live in Berlin for a bit. Yeah. And then throughout this time, all, despite all this moving, this somehow changed with, you know, the way that our lives was changing, maybe. And then now that I hear you talk, talk about it as a platform, I realize, like, we don't have a space. We just have studio spaces mm-hmm. like so it also i mean it's also about how that maybe it's not the traditional way that you would think of a platform it doesn't really work that way i was wondering if you could tell about how these other topics then evolved starting from your coming from the politics of the image and representation and image making like how do then these other topics that you expanded on or extended um, the platform it emerged. I'm curious how they, they came about or what, what are they? Mm-hmm. I think that when we started hosting public events, which was when we started inviting people to give talks based on the practice or the research, was when it became it became a different way to think about image making for us. Like instead of working with people who were producing images or like maybe had a more artistic practice. So then that was the start of kind of expanding this in terms of how we understand image and the different ways that that could be thought about. So we were thinking about archives and the space of the radio as also as a form of image making, things like that, which then influenced, I think then was a kind of a moment where this moment of expansion was also a space where we started becoming or like acknowledging all these different interests mm-hmm. that we would have had because of the work that we were doing in Saramat or also apart. And then kind of every time these things were brought back to Saramat. So for instance, with Ali fiction writing, like Ali was thinking a, a lot about image making without the visual image. Mm-hmm. And so writing became a really important part of it, which is now also part of Saramat. And maybe with Arvan also thinking about space and architecture, which kind of became part of some. I think it happens in a lot of the intersections of these things. I think it's there's something about when you start something and you're like, this is what this is about. And then as you move on, you realize that maybe it's about all these other things mm-hmm. or things just change. And if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And But this is the first time we're actually talking to a collective. And then also a collective, it's such a kind of varied practice that your projects manifest in so many different ways and also not really having a platform in the sense of physical platform. Mm-hmm. I guess my question would go back to, in some way, I think you still consider yourself a curator or cura- curator of this platform. I was wondering if you could tell a little bit about that, like how do you see your platform within the realm of curating or say, mm-hmm expanding or working with that notion of curating? I can say something really brief. I think that we arrived to this at this table with different in different identifying as a curator or not in different degrees, maybe also individually differently. So when you invited us I was like okay we in no way we are we are curators. But then I think since then we also discussed like what does that mean to do that? Mm-hmm. And like the relations between that and editorial work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, like, mm, for me, this is always a question of what is 
curatorial job what what does curating mean and like uh, how does it work it's like it's i mean for me the the definition is more like how you redistribute the sort of resources you have and how make them basically public and visible mm-hmm. and i think like in case of like sarmat we like for instance one one really interesting point is from five books which is uh, printed out from sarmat uh, four of them came out of opencall right and that's like in terms of book and publishing and making literally physical book that was one of the like most interesting curatorial part of sarmat for a long time from since the beginning till now or like with the fiction writing again it's just it's, it's some somehow open calls or open invitation for people to send their essays and then the club works itself so that's again other form of curating and so on and so forth with, with the other project within uh, sarmat and i think how we were thinking in general about curating even show it's it was more about creating circumstances that we can redistribute the sources we have equally and you know at the same time with, with some yeah but, but among the people that we, we feel like comfortable with, i mean in some sense mm-hmm. yeah. i think uh, like in terms of being a curator if you like if somebody invites me somewhere as a curator like you're invited as a curator i would say i'm not a curator but when i think about what we're doing in sarmat that's basically curating you know so I think you know, like um, from my perspective, I'm, like we in Sarmat, we don't really, we haven't really curated exhibitions. Mm-hmm. We've uh, done many different projects, publishing, like a writing club, um, podcast essays, you know, different things over the time. But um, we didn't uh, curate exhibitions, and also, also I think you know this, um, like not having an exhibition space. It's kind of, I don't know if it's a conscious, if it's, if, if I can say like, that's a conscious decision, that's what we decided to do. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, it happened for us so naturally that we've been working for these years and we don't have an exhibition space. And we kind of, like me personally, I don't really feel the need mm-hmm. because then it, it really changes the whole dynamic of this, you know, I call it a platform, Sarmat. Then it will change everything, you know. When you have the space, when you have the rent, when you start doing the exhibitions, actually, like, you know, uh, spending resources on production. And, you know, so many people, you know better than me, so many people are involved in, a, in an exhibition, you know. So it's kind of, I don't mean that you have to become an institution but you kind of move in that direction of you know doing thinking in a more institutional structured way about you know about everything basically but now we really have the freedom to have these projects uh, because there's no physical space involved and because the, the a lot of the projects apart from publishing 
we don't really have production budgets you know it really cuts the cost for us and and, and we can go on with much lower resources and um, I think the freedom really works for me at least mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then also then the, uh, you are developing relationships with other platforms or institutions to host some of your projects right yes. so you also you could imagine like developing those relationships can also expand to different audiences but do you see Neverland cinema part of Samad or is it a separate? separate project because you do have many different platforms and uh, like whether they're physical or were physical and then time-based or yeah and then also with work not as a collective like uh, uh, could you maybe talk about how you navigate all of that because it's very rich every every aspect is very rich and like to me it also uh, is very interesting in terms of because each part of what these projects or platforms or uh, collectives are doing is the curatorial. But how do you navigate? Because I, I imagine that at some points they do interweave or they buffet do. against each other. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and they make you overwork. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's also true, the labour. Yes. <laughs> I think that... I mean, definitely, there is there are different ways that we that I, at least I talk about it. Like every time, every time someone wants to introduce me, or like every time we do something and then someone wants to promote it, they they like tag their wrong collective or mm-hmm. they tag their wrong people, and they don't know the difference because like we, yeah, we like it's really like the overlaps are so many, mm-hmm. and in a way it also kind of maybe starts to lose sense sometimes but then there is a way that there is a way that these overlaps become meaningful and there is a there also a way that it really doesn't matter anymore in a way i think there is a way to as a way to negotiate with as a way to negotiate how for example, for a funding body or to negotiate with different, in different forums with different audiences or different professionals. Mm-hmm. There is a way that these definitions of like, okay, this is Sarmat, this mm-hmm. is Worknot, this is Golnar, this is Ali, this, it, it, it's, it's useful mm-hmm. um, because, because there is a way that they're specific in their own way, which means that it, it really feels like you have many hands. Which is kind of, I mean, it does result in the overworking. <laughs> You're smiling. <laughs> it does result in that overwork, but it also means that, I think it means that, I think there's a way to get away from the the way that you are kind of expected to introduce yourself as like one thing or these two mm-hmm. things, or I do this, I'm part of this and that's it. Yeah. Which is confusing a lot of times. Like people don't know how to refer to you. They're like, but do you also work there? But do you also do that? So that's so that's something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I kind of enjoy. It's kind of funny. Someone tagged us last year for something and then they wrong they tagged you like Ali and Arman instead of each other and also Sarma and Worknet instead of each other. <laughs> and I had to explain all of this. And I was like, actually I don't know. It's kind of it's just we wear many hats. Yeah. yeah. But I think I kind of I, I'm interested in how that 
that is, there is a way to work that is not collective maybe in the way that like we were talking about before like so Sarmat it's about this mm-hmm. like this is mm-hmm. what we're focusing on but it's there is something in that confusion that I kind of enjoy or like this kind of collectivity like you share space with some people and you share, share this kind of research or interest with some people mm-hmm. yeah I think it creates a lot of just like in, in between mm-hmm. yeah. weirdly sometimes when I don't know why we do that but sometimes we do like project and like sign it Sarmat times work not mm. and like but, but why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? So recently we wanted to just seduce ourselves and we used, like, okay, this is a collection of, what we say? Like, joining so, of like, attitudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So joining of attitudes. Yeah, because also I, um, with the show, uh, is it fictionalizing, uh, fiction in comfort, which is curated by work not. And then, and then, but then Sarma is in a, as a platform is one of the contributors. Mm-hmm. So it's also interesting, like also, like because you were just talking before about how, in fact, what you're doing is like um, uh, in within the curatorial or curating, and then so it's also like sort of curating, curating, curating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it's but it, but, I, but also like it's, this particular exhibition is also involving a lot of collaboration collaborative mm-hmm. projects yes. as well like maybe is it too soon to already ask the question to maybe to talk about this exhibition fictioning uh, comfort because this was also something that we found very interesting in terms of this show was happening during kind of like the height of the mm-hmm. pandemic and that also the the exhibition or do you were you seeing it as an exhibition actually yeah, so there you were, and that, that also there it was an exhibition that kind of went out outside of itself. That's how I was sort of experiencing. It's kind of like inverting, like, and so the fact that you have had no physical sort of platform is also interesting. To also then, when you do have an exhibition space, to then also that you can't have people inside it. Also very interesting to then have to kind of turn it inside out and like um, maybe you want to talk about this exhibition uh, a little bit well like yeah fiction and comfort started like we got commission assigned Mm. whatever in called out in summer to end of summer 2019 yes yeah for the like curator like program makers or whatever we were called uh, from from showroom mama and and then we start like communicating and start communicating with other program makers till february everything was kind of still you know made sense mm-hmm. it's like yeah sure oh, nice mm-hmm. and then the first the, 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 there was an opening of first show of this this collection they had like they, they invited like four different program maker which they were calling it pool mm-hmm. to curate four to different create, shows yeah. throughout the year yeah every every show like takes like three months or something and then yeah it was around fab- february i guess so they had they they started like producing the first show. They had the opening and it was locked down. Yeah. Uh, 
And then, so everything is start to become a little bit strange mm -hmm. to even like thinking about having show, thinking about like how to, you know, how to ask people to work mm -hmm. in such a time and how to even like, you know, like, yeah, you know, it's, it's because it was like a, quite a heavy baggage of responsibility not not only like about like curating show putting putting the show together and producing things managing the money you know like sending application for fun no but also it was about like responsibility towards like health of like you yeah. know audience and artists and, and so on and so forth so it, it was quite interesting <laughs> i would say <laughs> and then like we had a lot of like conversation back and forth with with natalie about like how like everything works and at the same time we were teaching also at William de Coin so there was also kind of mess of like how to you know how to how to teach now remotely how you can you know and that's also another form of curating you yeah. know like to engage people you know <laughs> now they are bored in their bedroom and like how you can engage them yeah. you know it's it was it was terrible yeah. let's say I mean, be honest <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, and then before, like at the beginning, when we got assigned, we started thinking of like, because before that we were, we were me and Golnar, like a year before that, we started like uh, working on the idea, like working on, on the topic of burnout and mm -hmm. exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And this was continue, uh, continuation of that. And at the same time, with Sarmat, we had this discussion about home, even before the pan, like it was in January, we had the discussion about home, how home uh, works, and it was also about like a condition of housing and so on and so forth. So everything sort of like hand in hand and pandemic came and home like changed its meaning yeah. and so on and so forth. And then we were, when we were talking, we were like, okay, if we have like this opportunity to curate something, we need to find ourselves like in a position that we, we can make relationship with people, with the people in the show, like participants. And we're like, okay, there should be friends and kings, you know, mm -hmm. with, uh, the ones we really want to work with. And I think it, that was the kind of beginning how we started the, the fiction comfort. So yeah, the lockdown happened and we had talked to the artists and everybody had some ideas what to do. And then the show before us closed down, as Aaron was saying. And then everybody was hopeful at that time that it's going to open by July. It's going to be fine. And I think there was a moment and that meant that there is a budget that is for a physical show and everybody's planning to do works that will be installed in the space in certain ways. And there was a moment where in one of these press conferences in the Netherlands, it was clear that that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen. So then it was a discussion of, do we postpone this show together with Show Mama? Do we postpone this? Or do we think of a way to do this? And for us, it was important because we felt really responsible for the artists that we had already talked to. Mm -hmm. And like we had an open call with Sarma, that had already gone out and people had sent their works. Um, and it felt important to do, it felt that, you know, doing this show was like, if we have asked people to work, 
it feels really important to pay them for the work that they have been doing and they have been planning to do, especially during a pandemic, mm-hmm. rather than feeling like, oh, okay, the kind of the, the kinds of ways that we would imagine a show to work is not going to be possible. And, you know, the, the publicity that, that, the kinds of publicity that we imagine for it to have is not going to happen, things like that. So then, so then we had to think of a way that, so that through redistribution of resources that Avram was talking about, it became really one of the most important structuring elements of the show in the end. And so then we, decided, then we had to talk to everybody and be like, let's do an online show and then we make sure that everybody's paid the same amount and we make sure that if, I mean, it was really interesting all these discussions about, for example, if someone doesn't like agreeing with everybody, like all the parties involved, that if someone for whatever reason cannot manage to do the work that they said they would do, like one of the artists, they still get paid, you Mm -hmm. know? And kind of agreeing on all of these things in advance, like adjusting all these things to something that no one had experienced Mm -hmm. before. So then there was a decision to do an online show, and then everybody did their works for this online show. Everybody had to readjust, so the video works were more easier to kind of think about their kind of online presence, or the installations that were that involved video works like the work of Salman and Moafi that had to be rethought in terms of an online and the work of Ali completely changed completely. from yeah it was different completely different project and it turned to yeah another wonderful project another also. wonderful project actually two projects two pro- by Ali. so yeah in in some point we ended up like having like all the artists and they had two works at the mm-hmm. exhibition so it was physical but no wait two yeah. versions. wait 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 so uh, we went for an online show and then they started opening up spaces mm-hmm. in the Netherlands yeah. so then we were asked to have something in the space of the gallery that is now that now has to be open and so th- it didn't make sense for the gallery to have an online show when the uh, museums and institutions are open and then have their space be empty and closed down mm-hmm. which was like a month before the opening it was very stressful yeah. but then we kind of had to think of a way to also have something in the in the space of the showroom which meant that this decision we made the decision not to bringing everybody because everybody had to register and reserve in advance, things like that, and the space is pretty small. So then we just use the windows because Shurma has a lot, it's like a shop Mm -hmm. space. So then we just decided to use the windows, the displays, so that people can view the works from the outside and they're on almost all the time. And the opening is just outside because there's nothing to see inside other than the, one of the works that like there was like a bookshop so you had to go inside mm-hmm. so so then it became about producing two things mm-hmm. two shows at the same time and then everybody was no one could travel of the artists so other than maybe two people we had to install everything ourselves and kind of making sure that there's something in the space of the gallery mm-hmm. well, I think it's also, also really interesting because like when we started like developing the online platform Actually, I mean, I, I still um, like connect more to the online platform as as as, as a show mm-hmm. to to the physical one, uh, even though that was really like interesting. But the online platform like worked 
completely different in terms of like exhibition. It was like it was a place that you can you could spend time. Mm -hmm. I mean, from my point of view, because there were so many things mm -hmm. to look at and not get distracted mm -hmm. so easy. So that was actually also interesting. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just want to like add something what you said. So it was it was couple of like two two and a half months before mm -hmm. the, the 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 opening opening date of exhibition uh, and launch of website of course that we started like rethinking like what could be cure what are we doing as curator or program maker or whatever and I was cycling around curling and both the, the, the lake around the Kralingen bus and, and around the lake and I came home I and mean, our place is close by that and I told Golnar well, why we don't do like projects like about bike messenger and mm -hmm. uh, that kind of uh, and then uh, yeah it's cool they yeah, watch some videos about like bike messengers in, in New York in Berlin here and there and then so but but we have this 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 friend this great friend Tom Hilsey uh, that we we're always like talking about this because they have done like bike messenger mass messengering mm -hmm. career job as as like professional job even though they're artist architect mm -hmm. maker researcher or whatever I don't know and then we we started actually like together like thinking of. So how, how, how this could work? And, and then we we're like, okay, if you have like now in the show, we have around like six, seven people. And then all of these people, they are in collaboration with mm -hmm. other people because in somehow we were so lucky to receive a lot of money, mm -hmm. you know, from, from all of these generous uh, public money <laughs> sender institutions. So we, we sent like application and we didn't hesitate to send out for, for more, you know, resources because it was a difficult time in yeah. some sense. Yeah. So we were, we were locking from that point and we were said, we, we told all the artists that if you want, you can, you can expand your collaboration and then in the budget of show, we can actually pay these people like you're collaborating with. Can I just add a detail to this? This was an interesting moment because we we were like, okay, this is, we, we need, if, if you're doing this job during a pandemic and everybody's doing two work, making two works and stuff, we need a lot of funding. So we sent out frantically a lot of applications together with the gallery. And then it was really hard, it was really hard to argue according to the national regulations if we wanted to pay uh, the artists more than the national thing. They, mm. it, was, it would have been hard for them to argue that. So then, but then we really wanted to pay people more than that minimum mm. thing. Like it was very clear that everybody's going through a lot and we can't meet even to discuss their works and stuff. Mm. So anyway, so then it became a way to do that was to kind of ask everybody to work like if they were to also kind of do like another yeah maybe it's not a curatorial step but if the collaborate how can we could we frame this so that the collaborators are also part of so we artwork is like a little collective mm -hmm. bubble 
and then they could argue that okay the there is more there is more money there is more artist fee because of that reason mm -hmm. and that became part of these like our correspondence with the funding bodies that was very specific to the to the pandemic mm -hmm. that the gallery was like okay because of the pandemic this is what's happening and this is like a new way this is a way for us to do this to distribute the budget mm -hmm. anyway i talked too much too long no no so based on that we saw like okay like from these six seven artists they collaborated with like so many other people which creates like quite a big you know like circle around the the, the show like it's, it's a big it's a turn to the community kind of thing we were like okay as 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 curatorial job why don't be, I mean, it's also a little bit cheesy the, the way I'm, I'm going to say it, but why don't we like take this work and the, the thing we want to distribute and talk about to like to the people mm. to see how it works? The Bike Messenger as an exhibition space and also as a device to like take the work to the audience to me is really uh really interesting and, and it, it kind of like I remember when I heard it because uh, a big friend of Paul told me about it and, and they were they kind of described to me how it how it happened and it I, I was thinking at how how we don't see these sorts of exhibitions any like well not anymore but uh, like at one point like I think Ryan Mundus Malachowskis was doing a hit like this show of uh, that were only on a carpet or like a show that was just in the mind and and uh, and this bike messenger is like it's like uh, it, it makes so much sense like. Of course, it's also like within a certain parameter, but then it can go pretty far. And yeah, and I think like for me, this is also what exhibition and curating's where it becomes very exciting. I think because it doesn't need to be locked within the within the walls of a exhibition space. I was wondering, maybe this is a little elliptical introduction to about to another project. But uh, last week, was it last week? We spoke to Sarah Giannini, who is a curator at Ifacon Dance, and she has a background in semiotics. And we talked about the question of image and language. That's also very important to me. The way I kind of see that relationship between text and the visual, Beyonce. And uh, I think that's also very present in Sarmat, like coming from the very beginnings of the of the magazine. But also, now comes the ellipsis. Uh, I was very interested in the writing club that you have, the fiction writing club. So I was wondering if you could tell a little bit about that and how did that come about? Well, I turn to you. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, I um, I personally really like this project. <laughs> and uh, I think it kind of also, it explains uh, certain things about Sarmad and like, you know, what we're doing kind of, what we try to do. Actually, the idea, I mean, I, I had been thinking about what you say, you know, like um, text and image and language, like verbal imagery, you know. Until actually for the show in uh, the show that we were talking about, mm -hmm. 
I first wanted to do this video on a performance and stuff uh, and the performance of this whole set uh, and production and then uh, it got uh, the show was like you know we're not sure if it's happening or not if it's online or offline and, I, and it was a very hard time for everybody including me <laughs> and like okay and it's like fiction and comfort so I was like okay so for one of the works I just write some fiction, just write some stories. And it's just, the, the main aim is to, it's just comfort. For me, it was like, you know, the way I was thinking about it is like, you know, these stories come out of exhaustion. Mm. And they're like a attempt for reaching comfort. So that's basically where it, is, it started for me. And then I was like, this year, I thought, you know, maybe we could do something with other people. Because I knew that there are, maybe not a lot, but there are some visual artists who write mm -hmm. and who write fiction. I mean, there are a lot of people who write, uh, you know, theory and, you know, essays and like non-fiction. Mm -hmm. Although the, the distinction is also a little bit tricky. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but uh, I knew that, you know, some people practice it, but they... People are kind of a little bit, like in general, they're kind of shy of introducing it as part of their visual arts practice. You know, they're like, okay, so I have this visual art practice, I do some writing fiction on the side, you know, for some people. I was like, okay, what if we argue that they're basically the same thing? I mean, if you, you know, if you go to all those, you know, like visual culture theories, you know, talking about like different dimensions of image, like verbal imagery, perceptual imagery, mental images, you know, stuff that you see in your dreams, images that come from other senses. So I was like, okay, if we assume that that theory is correct, then we could argue that writing, especially writing fiction, could be seen as a visual art practice. So we're like, Okay, let's um, start a community where visual artists can write fiction. Actually, one other thing that was really interesting and important for me was that, you know, if, if you write and you're not a writer, if you're not a professional writer, if you're not a literary writer, it's really hard to get your writing out there, you know? Like these competitions and all these uh, communities and stuff, as an artist who practices writing, entering those serious writing communities can be really difficult, you know? And you get really judged based on your language, based on what you're doing with this, with that. And like, actually a lot of these artists that we knew, English is not the mother language, you know? So for them, writing is completely serving another, another function compared to a, like a literary right. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, let's just have a community for that. And we also wanted to, I, mean, I personally wanted to keep ourselves out of it, kind of, as much as we could. So like kind of uh, maybe curating in an invisible way, <laughs> you know? So we're like, okay, Mm, the, this uh, this is a club, so you can. We invited some people, and we said if you like to join, you can invite. You can tell us who you want to invite, and we we send an invitation. So that we thought that's how it can grow. Now we're like, okay, works in rounds. 
you send your stories, uh, we just put them together, we send them to the, to the members, and they vote for the story that they like. Mm -hmm. And everybody has two votes, because one vote could be difficult. <laughs> like, what is the best story? Yeah. You know, it's a little bit weird. Like, you know, like you have two votes. So it's like, you know, a community that is basically, I think the main intention is to, is to encourage visual artists to practice fictional writing and, and not be shy of seeing this practice as an art practice or particularly as a visual art practice. Mm -hmm. One of the things I really like about the, that you wrote in the description of the writing club is that it's an introverted uh, system or something, or the process is very introverted. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to perform. Oh, yeah. You yeah. just receive things, and then you you just you just enjoy reading them, maybe, and then you just choose the ones that you like. You don't have to. Also, to I think, yeah, I just really like how that was formulated or articulated that I mean in in kind of in continuation of thinking of the white messenger mm. which had I mean happened because of the pandemic the pandemic was a trigger to think about how to do it in this way writing club doesn't have to be in that way and I mean now we can have gatherings of eight people or yeah but it's so it becomes something different like the relation that you have with other people who produce things or how that space where things could happen in or like when the space that could be generative doesn't necessarily in, you know doesn't necessarily imply dressing up and like performing and yeah. like being articulate like no small talk yeah. you know I was like you know because <laughs> even with the bike messenger you know the bike messenger shows up at your doorstep you have to still open the door yeah. and communicate yeah. and this and that you know so it's like it turns into an event oh this guy's coming at eight yeah. you know <laughs> It's uh, ten past eight. He's not here, you know, and we have to perform. And yeah. like, you know, everything is digital. We send you the stories, you read them, you vote. Mm -hmm. No small talk, no nothing. And then later on, we see if we can have, if we like to have some gatherings, either online or offline, in real life. But for now, it's just you know, mm -hmm. you just write and you share it with other people. Yeah. I mean, maybe something to be said is that so there's the voting system, and then. The story that gets gets like a little prize. I guess we have to call it a prize. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word. Um, and then uh, every all, all the stories that are sent are can be seen on the website of yeah. So like everything is there in a PDF. Mm -hmm. And then, and then there's like the publication to come later, which is includes the one that won and the ones that we were like, but this is also really good, but this didn't yeah. won. Yeah. So then different ways of, and then on Instagram, we're already publishing some of the stories. So different ways of just publishing and then republishing these things again. Yeah, I was just thinking, like in um, listening to all the different projects, uh, that it sounds also to me that like how these projects come into the world and, and how people are invited and you're talking about in terms of the fee and also like kind of caring for the participants is like really a, a big aspect of everything that you're doing and do you really involve each participant depending on the project? Oh, 
But because it's like the way uh, each project comes into the world, it, it's like you know you you may be the core of each uh, plat, uh, platform or project, but then how the um, different participants come in, they it sounds to me like they really have a say in how the project might run. Is is that true or is that my uh, am I understanding you? Correctly, like with what you were saying with work, not for example, in terms of if somebody cannot produce, they will still get paid. Was that uh, that was something that you decided and then told the, the participants, or is it was a collective decision with the the whole group? Or I mean, this was something that we discussed. Mm-hmm. We discussed because we everybody was really struggling, so we were like, okay, this if there is a funding, then we should make sure that. And you know, as a, I mean, this is maybe the most conventionally curatorial example, mm-hmm. fiction comfort, and then it, and then it means that in that case, like there's, there is a certain kind of access to the budget, but also not really. So then there, that happens. The access to the budget happens through that negotiation. So, so that was something that we decided among ourselves, and mm-hmm. then we discussed with showroom if mm-hmm. they would kind of agree with that mm-hmm. and kind of. They were happy to do it, so then we talked about that with the artists. But I think, I mean, in terms of the que- the main question that you asked, I think a part of all of these things, the way that I think about all these different things, uh, is that a, a major part of these th- works is administrative work, mm. which also includes logistical works, which is also something that is it's not so shiny to talk about, you know. But then it's the it's the reality of it is. That that's really like working with all these Excel sheets and taking mm. minutes and notes and having these meetings is really the work, which is the work of making making space in a way, or mm. making all these different forms of spaces or different forms of connections and relations between people and institutions and budgets mm. and spaces and practices and that might even be very introverted. So. I mean, it's not a, it's not a really direct answer to what mm-hmm. you ask, but that's the way that I think about it. That a lot of this labor is, a lot of this work is that kind mm-hmm. of work, and then thinking about maybe being concerned with, which also kind of relates to Samad not having a space, mm-hmm. but it becomes about making space in a in a in a in all these different ways, you know. I think that. I mean, yeah, being a platform or being a freelance curator, there is a, and then especially discussing like, like, uh, you know, this work as a kind of space making, you know, as we discussed before, there's always that, especially working with larger institutions, Mm -hmm. there are all these different levels of kind of labor and positions that people occupy. And there is a lot of there is a lot of enclosures that you have to move through. Like there is an there is an institution, and you're not a part of that institution. So then, there's a lot of internal things that you also have to kind of understand. Even creating something, there's a lot of things that you wouldn't know, and the, you're on a different. You come to that shared work with an institution from a very different space. Like you, you are a freelance. Um, curator, for example, and then and then that institution has staff members, and then each of them are on whatever kind of contract that they are on, and they have their own 
you know, internal hierarchies and the way that the dynamics of how work is done in any of them. And then, and then there are, of course, artists or like kind of by extension, all these other freelance people who would be involved. And then, and then production team and build up and all these things, you know, technicians. And I think that has been really, I think we went into this with like organizing the events in the beginning with Saramat really kind of naively, mm-hmm. like, okay, this just we contact people and institutions and we do this, um, which made it really easy to do. It was also like, mm, you know, one-time events for like two hours, three hours. It was really, it will be done and then gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think through time, it's, it's really interesting. There is a lot of things that I think we have faced in terms of expectations or or even people having paid time to discuss with you or negotiate things like even if you are willing to do that extra work and making sure that people are okay even though technically it's not asked of you you know if you're going to do that kind of care work mm-hmm. in quotation marks then there's still like all these other parties at the table that are not paid to do that or are not interested to do that or would refuse to do, to do that and technically, technically do have the right to. And my sense is there's something about the fragmentation of an institution. It's about the you know institution, institutions as, as a structure, as like a kind of structure, whatever size of whatever kind of excess. There is a way that things are done. There is a mechanics that you you arrive to. You don't have prior knowledge to. So then you would be in touch with people that are already stressed and you have no idea. You're like, oh, I didn't even know that there was a deadline that I missed because no one told me because mm-hmm. the person that was supposed to do that had a day off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really... I think it has been kind of surprising to for me to encounter that and like... When we think about the art world and all the problematics of the art world, art world and the attitudes that it kind of conditions and the ways that you have to relate to people so that you can be there and do your thing, there is a lot of yeah, there is a lot of there is a lot of things happening that condition that in a more maybe fundamental level. I think it's, uh, it, it really works. Like if, if it were two people, mm-hmm. I think it would have been so much more difficult. Yeah. Being three makes it easier. Yeah. You know? Um, and also, I mean, oh, of course, uh, we have, when you're three, you have more hands. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like, you know, perspectives. Like you have three perspectives. So like, you know, sometimes we, like, um, one of us has an idea and we're like, okay, let's meet and talk about this. And then when each of us say out loud what we think about it mm. like that initial idea completely changes mm. you know or like I mean it's formed in a different way mm-hmm. let's say mm-hmm. um, but about what is Samad I have this problem like yeah. every, every few yeah. months I'm like what is this yes. description yeah. I have to change this yeah. and then I spend a few hours I write some stuff and oh, yeah. I don't know yeah still I, not that's not what we're doing you know? <laughs> Yeah, I think our um, explanation has changed so many times. And, like, once we uh, tried to make it really, like, um, practical Mm. and, like, it really sucked at all the kind of 
energy out of what we were doing. It's like, no, 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 don't, don't go in that direction. It's like, but it was also kind of nice to be like, okay, like, you know, like let the poetic and the um, kind of the in-between, you know, do what it needs to do. If it becomes so practical and administrative, like, it's yeah. kind of like you start to suffer and yeah. wilt, wilt like a flower or something. Yeah. yeah. It's the best description of <laughs> how I feel with shimmer. It's like, yeah. Can I add something to that? Mm-hmm. That also includes a shout out. <laughs> I want to say that we had, for the first time, we had an intern this year. Oh, yeah. Shout yes, out to Yusser, Yusser yeah. Saleh. And I had a lot of conversations with her, and I'm sure we had also, when, especially in the previous studio, we we're meeting a lot more in person where we would have ideas and we were like, this is what we do. And like, the, like, it's very clear, obviously. And then she would be like, but isn't it like, isn't it, isn't it this that you're doing? One of the first things that she said was like, why is it samatmagazine.com? You're not a magazine anymore. Mm-hmm. We, I had never, I had not thought about, I didn't think that it mattered. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting to hear from her, to hear her feedback and be like, one time she was like, um, um, what did she say? So she, she said something about, like, she was like, you guys have been in Rotterdam for so many years now, and I haven't heard about you, so I think you need to do better. <laughs> Which was really nice. I was like, oh. Okay. Uh, maybe we are very introverted. <laughs> episode we interview Sophia Lemos where we talk about the political, social and spiritual aspects of her programming for the public. If you have feedback we'd love to receive your email at I hope this message finds you well at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at I hope this message and find us on SoundCloud under the same handle. Our jingle was by the artist duo Momuno S and our sound engineer is Nick Thomas. <laughs>